On the Empire Podcast this week, we get tickled by the Horrible Bosses trio, Jason Sudeikis, Jason Bateman and Charlie Day, not literally tickled, mind you, while Hugh Bonnyfield, the greatest living Englishman, takes time out from recycling plastic bottles at Downton Abbey to talk about Paddington. All that and more on the only movie podcast that isn't hopelessly addicted once again to bloody candy, bloody crushed bleeding saga. Just when I thought I was out. They pull me back in. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Joining me this week are three candies of such lethal... Sorry. (laughs) Colleagues of such lethal candy. Uh, No, wait. Colleagues of such lethal cunning. All I can see is a red candy, blue candy, one of those little green and white striped candies. I I need help. First up is our art house guru, a man who's also addicted, like I am, to a new game on his mobile phone. It's Fit Corraldo Crush Saga, where you play <laughs> Werner Herzog, dragging a giant boat over a mountain made all the more difficult by the fact that Klaus Kinski is shooting at you with an air rifle, which actually does sound like a great game. Uh, hello, Phil DeSemlian, how are you? <laughs> 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 that's, a, that's the weirdest response to how are you I've ever heard. I'm still thinking about that game. <laughs> that sounds amazing. You would genuinely play that, right? The Fitz Corraldo Crush Saga. <laughs> Fitz Corraldo Crush Saga. How does that yeah. work? I just told you how it works. You oh. drag the boat up the mountain and the, the madman shoots. Right. Next up is our geek queen, a lady who, and you're not going to believe this, is also addicted to her own online game. What are the odds? It's called The Great Winchester Crush Saga. It's like the Great British Bake Off, but instead of Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry, the judges are Sam and Dean from Supernatural, and instead of baking cakes, their clothes fall off if you complete a level. How's that working out for you, Helen O'Hara? I, I think it's appalling, Chris, because I love them for their minds. <laughs> their minds fall out <laughs> if you complete a level. Well, actually, that's more not, more likely on Supernatural, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Fair enough. Did a close ever fall off on Supernatural? Uh, very rarely. I've been watching out for it. I've been petitioning online for years. <laughs> Last but not least is our online editor who, and this is a complete coincidence, honestly, is also addicted to a new mobile phone game. It's called I've Got a Crush on Aaron Sorkin Saga. And to complete a level, you have to bang on endlessly about the West Wing. If you do mm. that, you qualify for an end-of-level challenge where you have to kiss Aaron Sorkin's arse a hundred times in a minute. <laughs> and you've completed it, haven't you, James Dyer? Many, many times over. <laughs> <laughs> Always nice to have you guys in the office, uh, the pod booth. Always nice to have you guys in the pod booth, of course. Uh, here are the questions that we have to tackle today. Sent in via email. First one's from a man simply called Graham, because I didn't write down his second name. Hello, pod people. I have a question for you. My son has now reached the age where his attention span will almost last for a full movie. He's interested in watching the X-Men movies, but I'm wondering what order I should show them to him in. Release date order? Chronological order. But if I do the latter, how do I factor in timelines? He watched Star Wars chronologically and the indie trilogy, <laughs> the indie trilogy, in release date order. I do think you have to do release date order. Um, if you try to do it chronologically, so then you go uh, first class and Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. and you're wondering what the heck Wolverine is going on about in Days of Future Past about yes. Gene and who the heck Gene is and why we care. Yes. And also, Days of Future Past explicitly wipes out uh-huh. uh, the others. But you shouldn't be watching Days of Future Past in chronological order after X-Men Origins Wolverine because it starts after everything else. It's really a future film. So it really does come last. Yes, that's also true. Winds back in the 70s. So to be honest, I would do uh, the original trilogy and I'm afraid you're going to have to go through The Last Stand. Um, You could probably skip, let's be honest, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, even though I was on set, you, you could. Don't walk, you, you don't could. I'm just saying, like, if you were pressed for time, like, that would be the one to drop. My close personal friend, Danny Houston, who I walked past <laughs> in the street the other day, uh, would be outraged by that. His amazing performance he as wouldn't. Evil Man would be, would be expunged <laughs> from the record. It's true. If he's your close personal friend, why did you walk past him in the street? Why didn't you, like, stop I didn't and want, chat, I, catch up? You know, he was being really, he was bad me, yeah. frankly. And I was like, Danny... 
maybe he man. maybe he was in character. He was in character. No, as genuinely, evil man. I uh, I'm I Klang went on met him on set of uh, on Thirty Days of Night, and he was playing a vampire in that. And he actually apparently his hotel room was festooned in vampire paraphernalia, and there were like false teeth by the bed and all this kind of stuff. And he basically kept freaking out. Uh, the maid who came, came in to clean the room because he'd have all this, you know, vampire stuff and be acting a bit like a vampire. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so he was probably in character, Chris, which is the yes. only reason he didn't stop to chat. It was, well, if he was in character as Danny Houston. <laughs> I'm just weighing out which name to drop because I haven't got... I haven't got one. Phil, how do you... James Marsden was telling me the other day that it's so difficult to find <laughs> He wasn't. I met, I met him. Oh, right. I, I got in a lift know. with Ozzy Osbourne once. Did you? Yeah. I lived in the Bee Gees house. Did you? Yeah. With, with the Bee Gees? Yeah, no. They'd moved out? No, no, it's no. Like... Outbreak of night fever, they had to move out. This is quite a poor anecdote. <laughs> we moved This in. is like a really rubbish version of seen in Jaws where they compare wounds. <laughs> I got in the lift with Tony Bennett. Did you? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. Did he press the button? He said good evening. He went, yeah, I want to go to the fourth floor. But in a voice that sounded like Tony Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a whole band in there with him? Can, can, I just, <laughs> can I just wheel us screeching back to the topic at hand and say, surely the rule of thumb for this is you always watch everything in production order and you never do anything in chronological order unless you're reading books. Because that means you watch indie Temple of Doom first. That would if you were doing yeah. chronological. Because I'm, I'm kind of with James Even on with this, books, yeah. actually, because I read the Anne McCaffrey books and I read, uh, I believe it's Dragon's Dawn first, which is the prequel that she wrote. Like, and it ruined everything because yeah. you're not supposed to read it first. It's a prequel, but you're supposed to read it after you've understood it because by their very nature, they're influenced by what's written before them or film before them, and they will reference things yeah. that happened in stuff that was made first but set afterwards. Because one of the things about the X-Men uh, uh, timelines is that they were essentially making it up as they went along. Mm. Yeah. And especially when Matthew Vaughn took over on X-Men First Class and when I was on set, bang, clang, clangly bang. <laughs> I basically said to him, you know, you've got characters in this, you've got Emma Frost in this, but there was an Emma Frost at the end of X-Men Origins Wolverine who was younger than the Emma Frost you have now, even though it took place after this movie. And his, his brilliantly Matthew Fawn-esque answer was, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. So that well, attitude means that uh, it, you really should just, yeah, probably watch them in, in order of production. Yeah. Or with that in mind, why yes. don't you just watch the good ones and just skip the other ones? Yeah, but, Controversial. Then, but then the Wolverine makes it explicit that X-Men Origins Wolverine is still within the continuity of the series. Right. Well, but watch the good ones and then look up on Wikipedia. That is true. Yes. It does happens. make that explicit, but is it worth the price you have to pay to get to that point? It has one good scene? Two good scenes? Which one? Origins or the Wolverine? The Wolverine. The Wolverine's decent, but X-Men Origins Wolverine has two good scenes? All the stuff with the claws and the cutting and it just upsets me. Leave the F. Schreiber, our spellcheck nemesis is pretty good, but uh, you know, that's that's let's mm. move on. That's the, okay. yeah. that's, that's the answer, okay? And uh, Production order. Production order. Uh, next question is from Aiden Burt. Hello Aiden, I got your surname. Uh, what are your favourite sibling relationships on screen? Mm. Mm, interesting. Ooh. I'd like to put in a word for uh, in Her Shoes, which is a very good film based on a very bad book. Um, I think it got kind of dismissed. People were sort of s complaining, I remember when it came out, that it, it you know, it was a terrible rom-com. That's because it isn't a rom-com, actually. It's a, it's a story about siblings. And as such, I think it works really, really well. So, yeah, I would uh, I would put that one forward as one of my favourites. Good news, Helen. That's number six on our online feature of 50 movie sibling rivalries. I'm surprised oh, Helen didn't go for Thor and Loki. 
because that's, well, that's a good shout. That is a good we, one, We actually. want to work up to the obvious, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I also didn't mention or, Frozen. Or indeed Sam and Dean. But, uh, but they uh, are the greatest of sibling that's, uh, that's keep this, Let's keep this on. to small screen, uh, big screen, shall we? Otherwise, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, Ross and Monica and Fraser and Niles win everything. Yeah. Okay. Hello. I know, um, and then Sam and Dean come in All right, and let's, let's wait about I'm going to say Michael and Fredo Corleone. Ooh. You broke my heart, Fredo. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the <laughs> worst impression of the world. It's a chef boy. I, I, went, I, went, <laughs> I don't know. I went. I went full. Um, you broke my heart. I, yeah. I went full ragu with that. I don't. I, that's I, what happened. I don't remember Wario being in the Godfather yeah. trilogy. Samia <laughs> Michael, I'm gonna win. Yeah. My apologies to all Italian. Oh, I've just uh, had a brilliant for Super Godfather card. <laughs> <laughs> Please make this game. Oh, that would be good. Is it even better than Fitzcarraldo Crush Saga? You have it, to get through the toll booth. <laughs> yeah. oh. That would be superb. No, not as good as Fitzcarraldo Crush Saga. too soon. Yeah, Michael and Fredo, yeah. That's absolutely. great. Never takes sides against the family again. There's a it's chance to talk about Kurosawa that I'm not going to miss here. Okay. By bringing up Ran, which is another one from our 50 Great Movie Siblings feature. Mm-hmm. Ran is, a, if you haven't seen it, uh, Kurosawa, one of Kurosawa's later films mm-hmm. in colour, and it's remarkably brilliant. Um, it's basically an adaptation of King Lear, so if you know the story of King Lear, it's yes. the squ- it's the squabbling siblings. It's actually to- on uh, Amazon Instant Video if you haven't seen Phenomenal. it. Phenomenal, is it really? Go and, check it out. Yeah. go and check it out. It's absolutely blistering and and, and uh, aesthetically awesome. So go see that. What about what about? Is it a spoiler, Luke and? Oh, is, it this, oh, is it a spoiler? <laughs> it's a 31 year old spoiler. If it is, yeah. yeah. I uh, hate to break it to you, uh, especially since Graham. I think his name's Quick. Graham Quick. Uh, his son has now seen it. He's seen it, so, so that's, that's okay. That's okay. Yes, Luke and Leia, they're they're good siblings, Could especially say, given the, the zone of sexual tension between the two of them that's in the, the first thing, two movies. The original yeah. theatrical trailer for Empire Strikes Back, which has the worst, sort of cheesiest Harrison Ford voiceover. Clearly, they couldn't afford an actual voiceover person, uh, and they got Harrison to do it while he was there. It talks about, you know, we've got action, there's romance, and you see Luke and Leia in each other's oh. arms. It's just like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Rachel Getting Married is a film. I don't know how many people have seen that. Jonathan mm. Demme, really, really good. Really good film. Sort of handheld, quite verite yeah, style great. story of uh, Anne Hathaway's rather kind of fractured soul with some substance problems and her sister, Rosemary DeWitt. And they're both brilliant. And there aren't, I don't know, thousands of great sister stories, but this is one of them. So That's check that Anne out. Anne Hathaway's best. One of her very that. best, yeah, yeah. And Jonathan Demme as well. Really, really good. Uh, great cast. Got the lead singer of. TV on the radio in there as well. Oh, Lots of good music. You've left out the most obvious one, though, of course. Okay. Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> in double impact. Yes. You know what? You're He's right. never been better. Twice. Twice the Van Damme. <laughs> He's twice never been better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and actually, Betty Davis played twins twice. Um, so that probably deserves a mention. Uh, Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers. That's true, yeah. Arnold and Danny DeVito in twins. <laughs> actually, you know what? That's our number one. That right there, that's our number one. End of question. Although, although as a father, I have to very quickly put in that uh, Anna and Elsa in Frozen. Big fan of that. Yeah. You do. You don't have to do that. I do. I quite like the Cain and Abel um, thing from that otherwise terrible movie. Was it called Year One? Oh, oh Year yes, Zero. Yes. Year One. Yeah. Year One. Yeah. With David Cross and yeah. uh, was it Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd, I yeah. think. Yeah. That was quite amusing. The Great Harold Ramis's final film. Yeah, I wouldn't normally get a mention on the podcast, but mm. some funny stuff there, I think. I'm going to give a shout out. We don't have a lot of time, sadly. We have to move on with this one. But uh, I'm going to give a shout out to a film that came out this year, Gone Girl. Great relationship between Ben Affleck and Carrie Coon's characters in that. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. It's not a spoiler. That's not what a spoiler. As soon as I hear Gone Girl, I just think, spoiler. I don't know why. It's just a Pavlovian <laughs> thing. Spoiler. Unbelievable. 
wish we could get into this one in slightly more detail. Do send in your favourite siblings. And hey, read that that feature on the website that Phil was talking about. The 50 greatest sibling rivalries on screen. Is Kirsty Alley in sibling rivalry in that? Phil, is she? That's a no. <laughs> no. No. Then your feature has been found wanting. Uh-oh. No, it's, it's probably correct. Uh, if you want to have a question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so via the following methods. You can email it to us, podcast at empireonline.com. You can Twitter us at the Twitter machine. Uh, we are at Empire Magazine and use the hashtag Empire Podcast. And you can Facebook us. We're Empire Magazine on Facebook. There you go. Nice and simple. Time now for our first interview, and it's a crowded one because it's with the three main stars of the Horrible Bosses series. Yes, it's now a series. Horrible Bosses 2 opens this week and it sees the return of Jason Bateman, Jason Sudeikis, and Jason Day. Charlie Day, as the three hapless idiots who always seem to find themselves lumpered with a horrible boss. They were in London recently for the world premiere, and the morning after the night before, our Ali Plum went along and offered them some Alka-Seltzer and some lovely chat. So, yes, Horrible Bosses 2 is the sequel to a movie I heard about called Horrible Bosses. Mm-hmm. When you were making Horrible Bosses, did you have any real idea that there'd be a sequel and that, you know, you'd be sitting here a couple of years later? No, we skew humble in the world of, of, the, of the arts. Yeah, we're, not, we're, we're, we're far too smart to, to think anything's going to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I remember like a, one of the producers talking about it, but I, I'm so cynical. I just must have rolled my eyes at it like, hey, yeah, right. That, yeah, that's, I mean, that's all based on, I mean, the whole reason we got to do this movie, I think, is because of the wild, wonderful success of The Hangover, and so it was probably just yeah. off of that, the idea that, that it could happen. Right. We had heard tale that, you know, like with three weeks after, or three weeks to go, they were already talking about a sequel for The Hangover, because it was like, I mean, it's such, it makes sense, and they couldn't have been more right, but but I think that's why. Same company, you know, Warner sure. Brothers New Line, so I'm guessing that's maybe why they Three were even dudes. entertaining the idea. You don't think they actually thought they were ordering another Hangover, and then it turns out they sent it to the wrong people? Hangover 4 or Horrible Bosses 2, it's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> just yeah. find and replace, just switch the character names, you know. What I'm really looking forward to, if you can make it happen, I'd be so grateful, is if we could get a Motherfucker Jones spin-off. I feel like right? yes. maybe an origin story for him. That's so, yes. I'm with you. Yes. I just, Jamie Foxx gets more to do in this movie. Yeah. Which I'm yeah. grateful for. By design. Uh, was this yeah? Was this your request? You're like, we need more scenes with him. Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, more. Or less. I mean, it was. I, I would say it's, it's, it was in y'all's fact, request. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. like the, the fans. In, in earlier versions of the script, he he didn't come back. Yeah. Uh, uh, spoiler alert here. He didn't come back towards the end of the, of the movie. Yeah. And we got uh, I remember having conversations about how great it would be to have him. I think it was a different. Was it a? I think it was a different character, wasn't it? Wasn't a different element come back and then slide it over and say, no, let's make this. I think yeah. so. I can't I remember. Can't, I can't remember. Either. He's just, he's such a, such a great guy to have on set, first yeah. of all. Um, and secondly, you know, obviously his talent is incredible and the, that character is so funny and the four of us have so much fun doing our thing together and um, you know good thing Sean and John the the writers of the movie were were amenable to uh, us wanting to kind of chime in and give them our our two cents uh, it certainly didn't take any arm twisting they were right on board to to have motherfucker be a, a bigger part in it it was great it was great like w- with him it, it kind of reminds me uh, 
he's done so much great, you know, uh, dramatic work, winning Oscars and doing action movies and being a badass that we kind of got this little, we got him back in the space. It's it's like when, when Dave Grohl plays drums for like them crooked vultures, you're like, oh, that's right. He was a percussionist. Like where you're like, oh, that's right. Jamie Foxx did comedy. Who knew he had that move? It's like, yeah, he, he had his own sitcom. Yeah, yeah, he had he a did. living color, you know, we're reminding people of the greatness, including his himself. Sitcom, I feel. His sitcom was so great. So I mean, the guy, the guy's been doing it forever. And then he can play piano too. Remember that character he did in Drag? Yeah, well, was it not Shanene? No, that no, was Martin Wanda. Lawrence. Wanda. What, remember? Yeah, Wanda. Yeah. 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 But yeah, Martin Lawrence's show too. Yeah, Shanene. Yeah. That show was fantastic. Yeah. Different guy though, Jason. You know that, right? No. Yeah. We'll, yes. I'll, yeah, we'll oh, show you boy. some pictures. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bring up Facebook. Yeah. Uh, we've got three Oscar winners in this movie. Mm-hmm. Who had the biggest trailer? Girth-wise or length? <sighs> I'm always a girth <laughs> guy when it comes to trailers. Yeah. It's all about the width. Yeah, gosh. You got to measure from the cab, though. Yeah. Um, I think the prop prop trailer was the biggest. And and then the craft service trailer. Craft service, right. Um, I think everybody had the same thing on this movie. Uh, But it is pretty surreal that you've got this, you know, it's an out and out comedy. It's here for laughs. And you've got three serious dramatic actors all with their uh, probably. Carrying the Oscars on set. Yeah. Down. We're thinking maybe maybe the next one we get Meryl Streep and uh, Daniel Day Lewis, Jack uh, and Kate Blanchett. Yeah. I think all three would make great awful bosses. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're going to have them read for it though. Yeah, we'll, we'll have them know. audition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come in, uh, wow us. Chops. You know, it's yours to lose. Meryl. We would be equally mm-hmm. surprised if they had seen the movie and liked it like we were with Christoph Waltz. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and Pine, you know. like the fact that they wanted to bring that cloud into. It's a compliment, I feel. Yeah, it yeah. really was. It was very affirming. Both both movies uh, were privileged to have an uh, excellent cast. Though you say so yourself. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and then the three of us, too. <laughs> Chris Pine does some amazing punching himself in the face work. I think yeah. that's the technical term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He should see himself it. asphyxiate. Really? Oh, boy, yeah. I, I, is that, you have to pay extra for that? No, that's no, he'll do it for anybody. You just got to ask. Yeah, yeah. Just got to ask. Give, give him your belt. <laughs> he's so good I wondered whether on set you were like are you okay because yeah. you have just slammed your head into a table yeah. that's right no he was throwing himself about no stuntman needed that that in the way that only an extremely athletic good looking man can do yeah you know because the rest of us we would <laughs> have some bruises and <laughs> broken bones but you know he's punching himself in the face and flying yeah. around the room and it is day one or two it, so you know Chris it, we got a long way to go here but he was fine me with blood on my face or crying my eyes out I look like an absolute monster it just makes him more dreamy yeah it's, it's yeah. ridiculous he looks manlier his, his eyes you know turn he probably his... doesn't even get a hangover that guy no I mean, he's a... no has never pulled a muscle no no, no. I'm not going to spoil anything by saying that there is a gag reel of sort at the end of this movie mm-hmm. and right. it's because well, there was one in the first well exactly right. and so there's, there's no... one at the end of most comedies now yeah. a lot of them at least there should be with the things that we hear Jennifer Aniston saying in the film are extraordinarily filthy. Mm. Then there's even more stuff in the gag reel. Was there anything that was just so abhorrent that they just went, yeah, I don't think that's going to come through, that one? We said pretty much everything. There, there, was, there, was, there was one thing that, that Charlie flagged um, rightfully <laughs> um, that, that is no longer in the film that yeah. was just, just sort of distasteful and and i guess a bit of a, a bit of a of a line crosser there's there's quite yeah there's a long line of victims um uh, in the in the issue that 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 the joke was touching on so right. it's probably poor taste <laughs> yeah about but just how how the her in one line you sort of get her origin story that you know included her being in you know yeah, yeah. 
But uh, just to uh, remind the audience, she is an infomaniac, which right. yes. puts this more yeah. into context. I mean, yes. Out of context, this sounds really scary. Yeah. Yes, no, yes. it's just merely that she got started with her sex mania early. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but uh, you know that, that's what you do. You, you sort of with a character like that, uh, you walk up to the line and up to the line, you step over and over and over, and you say, "How far can I get over?" And then you uh, you say, "All right, that one's." Too far. Let's yeah. take two steps back, and uh, you know we won't put that one on on the screen. When you you came back for this for for the second time, obviously, was there anything that you found out about each other that you didn't know beforehand? Because I got the impression again from the gag reel that this is just so much fun to do. With the off time, were you like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you went to golf, Charlie? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that happens. We find something new. Yeah, I mean, we we for for three guys wearing mics, we're we're very candid, and 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 yeah, it's part it's part of I you know I didn't go to college, so I didn't I wasn't you know didn't have the experience of, of hanging out in dorms or, or or wherever and and broing out all the time. So the fact that that we do that all the time, whether it's in the car, we can we can sit in a room and, and wait for a turnaround like nobody's business. Uh, I think about all our fun conversations when when we were down in the. Uh, the basement, you know, the, the of the garage, and our cell phones didn't work, so we actually ended up talking the entire <laughs> right, time. Right, yeah, it was yeah. too far of a drive to go back, so I mean, we had fun little like therapy sessions well outside of <laughs> showbiz. You know, like we were right. just talking about life. I was knew I was going to becoming a father. You know, they they they're both um, traveled that path. You know, recently themselves since the last movie, but then. So it was like, you know, fun stuff like that. Is you end up learning more and more about, about each other. You know, like anytime you sit and talk to one of your friends, it's nice, it's nice uh, sort of like seeing kind of what makes them tick. And especially when you're, when, you know, I get to see how silly they are when cameras are rolling. It's really nice to be exposed to what's under all of that. And um, that's, you know, we got a whole another movie's worth out of this one. When you got the script, like you, you mentioned that you could add a little bit yourself, make suggestions. Is there anything in that you're like, that was mine? Like a lot of it happens right before we start shooting too. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the on uh, during the, rehearsals. And stuff. Yeah, during rehearsals, right? You know, you 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 walk into a set and you 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 do what's called blocking, where you figure out, okay, where are you going to stand? Where are you going to sit? Uh, at what point are you going to move across the room to that side? And it's at that point when we start actually working on putting the scene, the scene on its feet where certain parts of the writing will expose themselves as either too strong or too weak or not consistent with the way that we want to play it. And then we'll start working on on ways to adjust that. And then that will you know spawn a, a whole new riff or run or, or joke uh, that we'll just kind of work on right then. And it and it won't make it into the script. The script supervisor, the the, the lady who keeps time on the scenes, she'll write it down in the margins uh, to remind us, and we'll kind of jot it down on our script. But uh, it'll be basically made up right then. Yet it's not true improvisation, since that happens while the camera's rolling, and right. none of us know what's going to come. All writing is improvisation. That's what Tina said to me when I got uh, Tina Fey when I got hired. Uh, to write at SNL, I auditioned for the show and I got hired as a writer. So I had a horrible imposter's syndrome, you know, leading into it because you know I had such profound respect for the people like Robert Smigel and Bob Odenkirk, people that were naturally writers, Jim Downey, whatnot. And she's like, if you can improvise, you can write. And coming from my, you know, the same background as her, that being the Chicago Second City Improv Olympic experience, that was very nice to hear, and it's and it's proven true. I mean, when we when we get up, even you know, in your in your office, you know, we're like just sort of improvising in there or when I hear about the, when we did the round table uh, with like probably about I don't know 12 different writers one of the things that Sean and John were just delighted by and a lot of those guys a lot of you know guys and gals cynical you know 
script writers and you know turd polishers <laughs> professional turd polishers were like it was amazing to watch you guys like just beat out a scene just talking amongst yourselves uh, and it's like i it's it, you know it's i i just love being a part of it to be one of those you know those instruments that make this weird jazz man <laughs> comedy jazz yeah right yeah went gone from murder to ransom i'm mm. sure everyone's asked you this but surely it, ransom isn't as bad as murder no. i mean That's officially right. right no so with the third one it's going to be a little bit worse so are we talking insurance fraud? <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. the joke we've been That's saying. That's what actually. we've been doing. You stole our joke. Yeah, and <laughs> that was it. Was Maybe it we should just go back to murder. You must You must be asked, you know, these questions. Obviously, what's, who's the worst boss you've got? Yes. And what's the third one going to be about? What are your stock responses? And how outrageous do you get with your lies now? What's the worst boss you've ever had? It was uh, an ogre who lived under a bridge. He beat me up with a stick. I usually just said How did it. you know that? Yeah. How did I know that? Where did, did you read it in one of these outlets? It's on Twitter. Uh, yeah. It's on the Twitter. The, the ogre has a, has a Twitter feed. Now. <laughs> Talking a lot Has he read it? Does you. the ogre know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he recognizes you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, stock answers we change all the yeah. time to keep it fresh. But, I mean, you know, some people aren't as... as, as uh, I feel it is knowing as you knowing that uh, it's not necessarily true that or that they that, that we haven't been asked that question over and over. <laughs> so, yeah, it would, it'd be tough to come up with a new fresh one every single time. We may stumble into a real good idea at that point. <laughs> More or less what you're doing when you're brainstorming anyway, right? Talking yeah. about bad improv. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Improv is tough when you're jet lagged. Um, and as far as the third one's uh, what it's about, uh, th there is no third one. I mean, uh, people people got to go buy tickets for this one first before that's even even a, a subject. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, listeners? It's Jones. up to you. Yeah, it's like it's just like American Idol. Motherfucker Jones has his own. I'd say not necessarily theme music, but when he has this big moment, straight out of Compton. Yeah. And it just he, I won't say too much. Yeah. If your characters or you in real life could have your own theme music, what would it be? Ooh. As in, you walk into a room, Jason Bateman walks into a room, and it's like, oh Here my God. Here comes the bride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Dirt Off Your Shoulder by Jay-Z or, or The Motto by Drake. Mm. Just good music to like, just sounds cool. Solid. I don't know yeah. either. They're great. So I'm an I know, lady. I've yet to make you that hip-hop. Yeah, I take something confusing, you know, like yeah. the Canadian national anthem. Ooh, nice. No, that's the Olympic theme. No, that's the Olympic theme. I'll take yeah. that. There that's you close. go. Even better. That's good. That's good. Um, and finally, we've been asking a lot of people this recently. Over the course of this year, there have been other movies coming out that you haven't been in. What have your favorites been so far in 2014 that you have watched? I've really liked, I really like Birdman. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's pretty good. Really, really cool. Uh, mine, hands down, uh, Whiplash. It, it got it got me from 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 jump, and I just I've I've watched it a couple times now, and read watched it while reading through with the script. I, I I nerd out when I find one that that tickles me that way, that makes it it looks that good, and it seems like oh you can do it. It's like it's that it's that easy. You just need three million bucks in nineteen days, <laughs> and two great actors and a great script. It's that easy, Jace. Just go do that. You know. When did that Grand Budapest Hotel come out? Did that's that come out? That's the year. That was this year. I haven't. Yeah. I I haven't I, seen that. I, I was really blown. I was blown away by that. I thought that that's was on the plane. The, the best plane, one of his yeah. movies that he's made. Like I was floored by the. Yeah, I'm watching the, that one on the plane yeah, for great. sure on the way home. It's a, it's on it's been on every flight I've taken the last <laughs> six months and I've been ignoring yeah. it every time. But yeah, but I mean I've watched the trailer probably five times. Yeah. It's really excellent filmmaking. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure, as it always is. Until next time. Thank you, Dr. Empire. Yes, thank you. Thank that you. Thank pleasure. you. I'm keeping the mic. You should. Hey, it's movie news time. Lots of movie news. Lots of stuff to pack in. Mm. 
Where should we start? Should we start? Hey, I know where we start. We'll start with something that broke uh, earlier on this week. Oscar Isaac. En Sabanur. En Sabanur. Yeah, that's yeah. Quite, a, quite a mental, actually. That took me by surprise. Oscar Isaac has indeed been cast as Apocalypse, the first mutant in the imaginatively titled X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> This is X-Men colon apocalypse. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. This is Never really this is really, really good casting, I think. He's um he's no genuine well <laughs> no, sorry, I'm just laughing. First of all, he's really dishy. Okay, I th- which I thought is what you were laughing which at. Which is what we've no. always associated and apocalypse with. So. Absolutely. And yeah. it makes this probably the best looking cast in history. Secondly, uh he's uh he's a really good, good actor. He's really great. And he hasn't played good. enough. Um, bad guy roles, like big juicy bad guy roles, like Apocalypse. We're not tired of him doing that already. Sure. Apocalypse um, is the big bad guy yeah. in Sabandor that we saw at the end of the very, very tease of Days of Future Past. And he's essentially mega, 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 mega powerful. Yeah. And he will fight the first class cast. And I'm guessing possibly Hugh Jackman. No, I would be amazed if they don't crowbar Wolverine to listen somehow. And uh, young Scott and young Gene and yeah, probably young some people new like people. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a 1980s set movie, yeah. which I hope features a Rubik's Cube at some point. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to sort of uh, blow him up a little bit in the sense of, uh, you know, Apocalypse in the comics is huge. Mm-hmm. Like he's a he's wide and big and enormous. And if you saw uh, Ex Machina, or you will see Ex Machina soon, um, he's not the tallest person in the world. He's quite muscly, but he's not the tallest guy in the world. So I wonder if they'll do a sort of uh, like Rodrigo Santoro in, mm-hmm. in 300 and kind of just magnify him in every direction. But he has a suit. It's his suit also gives him a certain sort of presence, doesn't it, with True. the pipes and whatnot hanging out. Also, the clown face is, uh, <laughs> is, a, is a good look. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how this character looks and comes across. But the casting is is fantastic. I mean, this is a proper serious cast already and uh, Simon Kinberg's been talking in the past that there may be old X-Men back in it so Ian McKellen said that he's been asked about you know doing another one so if they have Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart back again somehow <laughs> manipulate the timeline somehow you're going to have Fassbender, McAvoy, Lawrence Holt, Isaac Stewart, McKellen you know Chloe and Grace Moretz has been linked with it uh, it's a pretty damn good cast. Um, but it's interesting, I, I, there was speculation on Twitter, because obviously Oscar Isaac is in Star Wars Episode Seven. sorry, Star Wars, colon, The Force Awakens. And, uh, you know, people like me were speculating on Twitter, does this mean if he signed up for a movie now in 2016, and Episode Eight is in theory coming out in 2017, does that mean he's not in Star Wars? Or has he signed on for more than one film as Apocalypse? But, you know, we've talked mm-hmm. in this podcast before about these long contracts that people yeah. have to sign on for if he signed up for Marvel or DC. And maybe that scares off an actor. So maybe he's been enticed by the fact, oh, it's just one film and then I'm done. Or yeah. maybe he's playing third stormtrooper from the left and therefore doesn't have a particularly busy schedule. Perhaps he does. It's possible, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool casting. Uh, I was kind of... Because Benedict Cumberbatch still hasn't been confirmed as Doctor Strange, and I was kind of quietly hoping that he might get the nod for that one. What, Oscar Isaac? Yeah. That would Doctor be a Strange. good call. Yeah. Uh, but he's clearly ruled himself out of that one. Tom Hardy had been linked initially with Apocalypse, and he's clearly been ruled out of that, and he's been linked with Suicide Squad, the, the DC movie. So it's kind of interesting. So it's funny, yeah. you could totally see Tom Hardy as Apocalypse. Yeah. Just bane Tom Hardy as Apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. What a time to be Oscar Isaac. <laughs> what a time. I mean, well, I hope he likes press junkets, because you can have a few of those to deal with. But otherwise, I mean, wow. Or his agent, for that matter. I mean, how much work and how many great parts is he getting? We obviously have both seen... A most violent year, mm-hmm. a film that I believe we're allowed to talk about because it's yes, not embargoed, and we both very much liked, and he's excellent in it. 
Um, he was really good in Two Faces of January. Mm. He's got all these big blockbusters coming up. He's got everything, I think. Obviously, Inside Lewin Davis, one of the films yeah. of the year. Yeah. By and large, he has this uh, annoying habit of being pretty much the best thing about every film he's been in so yeah. far. He's got so, a really um, weird moustache at the moment. I, I like say. the moustache. The moustache was what made me think, oh, this guy could be Doctor Strange. Anyway, 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 enough Marvel superhero X-Men-y talk. Um, just before we leave the superhero what? realm entirely, come on, Chris, you what? know there's always more. Michelle McLaren has been confirmed for Wonder Woman. Um, now, we talked about her when she was rumoured mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, I believe. Um, she is, of course, the director of some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad. She's worked on Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, The Leftovers, you name it. Um, and and she is stepping up. Apparently, she won the job ahead of the Babadook's Jennifer Kent, who's also a great director. Um, yeah, who I'm sure Jennifer will... Kent brought the Babadook with her to the meeting, which went down badly. That was probably a mistake in retrospect. And then Homeland's uh, Leslie Linka Glatter was also in the running, but Michelle McLaren has it. And I will be very interested to see what she makes of Wonder Woman, and I hope it is something awesome. So uh, it's confirmation rather than fresh news, if you will, but mm-hmm. still good stuff. The reason I want to get away from superhero talk is because... Uh, Steve it's time for Jobs. Phil's Steve Jobs update. This is yes. weekly Steve Jobs I need a update. Can, can, I can we can we can, can we try this year? Just just for the first time, just what? for me yeah. to get Aaron Sorkin's names right name right. Can we can we can we try that? No. 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 Right. Sod off. Okay. We've um, had oh my, my, Iron I, Sorkin. We've had Aaron Sorkin. Aaron. Aaron Aaron. Elrond Sorkin. Elrond. Elrond Sorkind. Salkind. Ilya Sorkin. Sorkin, right at least, am I? More or less. Okay. Well just shall I call him Lord Sorkin? Yeah, that'd be fine. Um Independence Day, I was going to talk about actually, but oh, you've, you've you've thrown me a curveball. I know I have thrown you a curveball, but I was thinking because they've they've just agreed they've just greenlit Independence Day, 20th Century Fox, 20th uh, Independence Day two. <laughs> they've already made Independence they, they Day. They did greenlight Independence Day some time ago. At me, they've made that one. Yeah, um, that's been done. So that's good. Independence Written Day two, which has been which has been in the ether for a while. Roland Emmerich has been talking about it as a two part. Venture, mm. uh, it's not going to happen as a two-part venture. It's going to be a single venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's little word on who's going to be in it. Will Smith is mm, a bit dubious whether he's going to participate. But the story is that the malignant alien types are going to return to Earth because they probably got back to the home planet and thought, "How the sod did we lose to that mob?" Mm. I mean, honestly. And you know how they lost? The MacBook. I was about to say. So they've they've switched so to PCs. Steve Jobs, right? Potentially could be a, could could play a part in this. It's a crossover. <laughs> they've got they've gone back to their planet. They've got a new firewall and they've returned yeah. confident. But there's been upgrades. They yeah. haven't prepared for. They've, they've OS updated to OS Ten Yosemite. OS Ten Yosemite. And uh, so yes, all kinds of things going on with that. That's going to happen. And is it it's still got a release date? So. Is it still titled ID Forever? Um, that is TBC. I don't believe that they've confirmed the title, but that was what Roland Emmerich was going for. Well, ID Forever. I know that Roland listens to the podcast and he's a big fan, so uh, Roland, don't call it ID Forever. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to scrape that into the wood on the back of the bike sheds at your school, but please don't call your film that. Yeah. Mm. How about another Independence Day? Here's or another one, lads. Independence Day 2. Or for Phil, here's the first one. <laughs> um, so yeah, Roland Emmerich is is going to be doing that. I, you know, people there's a lot of love for that film. It is. It's, it's silly and preposterous, it's and wonderful. Roland Emmerich does yeah. fun, silly, preposterous blockbusters. He's like the sensible person's Michael Bay, and that's going to hit the two cinemas in the US on June 24th, rather than actual Independence Day, which seems like a an open goal missed. But you know, it's going to be out here on Independence Day in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve Jobs news, um, of course. Natalie Portman's 
link with it. And, and it's been picked up by Universal. Absolutely. Strange choice by Steve Jobs, I have to say. But <laughs> she has won an Oscar. She can pretty much do anything. She can do so. anything. This yeah. movie has become self-aware, as we'd always hoped it would. And Who's so there'll play? be news from now on every single day. Who's every she, single week. Who's she in talks to play? Um, we're not sure. Hasn't Good. Been, hasn't been specified. But I'm assuming it will be potentially Siri. Steve Jobs' wife. I'm having a wild guess, really. I mean, if Michael Fassbender is going to play Steve Jobs, for all you she's know, she's working old. in the Genius Bar. She could be working in the Genius Bar. Phil, it... I thought you were embedded with this production. <laughs> I don't know anything about I it. I thought you I'm were just... deep inside. I thought you were deep throating this movie. That just let's not. That isn't the you way what? you use that term, Chris. Moving that just hastily doesn't sound on. right. Do you not? No, that's not. Do you not a... remember that movie where? No. Redford and no. Dustin Hoffman were deep-throated. Do you not remember that? I, I don't think that's how... It... Anyway, hey, I have news. Let's move on. Blade Runner. Uh, there is still a sequel in development. Uh, a sequel is still planned. Uh, but Ridley Scott, who who has been, of course, linked with it, is not now planning to direct. He is only planning to produce this. We don't know yet who will direct. It is apparently still happening, which may or may not be good news, but it will not be Scott in the director's chair. He's going to pass it off to somebody else. Apparently, he has talked to the original screenwriter, Hampton Fancher, and they have come up with a pretty strong three-act storyline, apparently, and it all makes sense in terms of how it relates to the first one. But uh, we don't know much more than that. Harrison is very much a part of this one, apparently, but really it's about finding him. He comes in in the third act. So there will be presumably another lead to be found. But, um, yeah, potentially good or bad news, depending on your view of a Blade Runner sequel. Some of the books, actually, there were there were book sequels, not obviously by Philip K. Dick, which has some really interesting ideas in them. So it will be intriguing to see where they go with this. I'm but in glad. the meantime, of course, Scott's busy with The Martian yes. once, he fi- once he launches Exodus Gods and Kings very soon. And then after that, he's making Prometheus too because of the huge clamour for that movie. I'm glad, personally, that he's said it's a very strong three-act structure as opposed to a, a weak one. Or <laughs> Or that we be, <laughs> and yeah. the, the script involves nouns, verbs, and adjectives it does, in the it proper does. order, which is, you know, useful. I'm very intrigued to see who they get to direct. Hmm. Hopefully somebody good. Hopefully someone good. Will they call it Blade Runnier? <laughs> I would pay money to see that. I really would. Okay, that, that is a guaranteed ticket sale, if you're listening, <laughs> for Blade Runnier. Right, right here, right now. Yes. I will commit to that. Listen to this. We're not going to see ID forever. Silly name, but we will go see <laughs> Blade Runnier, <laughs> and then the, the the trilogy Blade Runnest, Blade Run Runniest, Blade Runniest. Awesome. Can I just give a shout out to no. the person on Twitter who renamed Whiplash Drum and Drummer? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I wish I had your Twitter handle, but whoever you are, you're awesome. One last thing, we don't tend to discuss traders in this one, but it's a big old week for traders. Uh, as you're listening to this podcast right now, if you're listening to it on the day of release, it's Friday. You've probably already seen the Force Awakens trailer. Uh, you can go to the uh, one of 30 cinemas in the States, or you can go to a number of cinemas in the UK. We're still waiting on confirmation of which ones. Uh, but you can also see it online at the iTunes store, so that's that's pretty cool. And that's assuming we've all been blown away. And it's not the fake trailer that's going around the internet, which is A patently fake and B rubbish and so how and and C A, B, C yeah C it's longer than we know the trailer actual trailer to be which is 88 seconds the one going around is 113 seconds how do people anyway deep coming breaths deep coming breaths also remember your mantra remember the mantra the mantra kill all kill all kill everyone that that wasn't that's not the mantra no okay Uh, we also have the trailer this week for Jurassic World which uh, I really like it's got the last shot Chris Pratt on a motorbike with intelligent raptors 
what's not to love? Uh, and he pulls off the leather waistcoat, let me tell you. He pulls he it off. He actually does. Who, who would have thought anyone could do that? It's interesting. This is the story of Indiana Jones to Guardians of the Galaxy's Han Solo, I guess, um, potentially, if, if both kind of become little franchises in their own right. Um, I liked a lot of stuff in it. I thought yeah. there's some. it's just really cool to go back to Jurassic World, I guess it is now. Mm. Is, this, is this like the difference between Disneyland and Disney World? Is Jurassic World like just bigger, a lot bigger? It's, it's just in Florida. And has Epcot. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, there was a monorail, of course, in the trailer, so that does. Monorail. <laughs> uh, monorail. Uh, we, do we jinx each other? Given that we did it in different places, probably yeah, it's probably fine. Uh, yeah. Will there be a Jurassic Park? You know, Euro Jurassic Park. Yes. Oh, now we've opened up a Jurassic Park Paris. Uh, but anyway, in reaction to the the Jurassic World trailer, we have a couple of things. We have a trailer breakdown written by the man that we uh, we sent on set. Our very own Nick DeSemlian, he was there deep throating the cast and crew. Uh, that's uh, not again, Chris. And star of the film, Nick DeSemlian. And star of the film, yes, he was an extra in the scene where the uh, the, the watery dinosaur, <laughs> if its name I can't remember, the Momosaurus or something, leaps out and eats the shark. Nick was actually Nick was the shark. The, yeah, Nick was the <laughs> shark. Um, so we did that as well. But we also reached out to Colin Trevorrow and uh, asked him a bunch of questions and he answered and so that's also up on the website proper Jurassic World exclusive there uh, so do check that one out it's always good fun um, also that's paleo terrific <laughs> no? No, pa- no? no? no also out this week listen to this that's the sound of a new empire ooh I know look at that ooh look at that uh, it is our Peter Jackson guest edited issue it is our final Celebration. I, there's an asterisk by final. There's a final <laughs> celebration of all things Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. But just in case you don't like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, all things Peter Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and there's a fantastic delve back into his back catalogue. Uh, uh, Ian Freer uh, spoke to Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky for a wonderful Heavenly Creatures piece. Uh, we sent pretty much the entire office down to New Zealand for a week and we did loads of shoots and loads of great interviews and loads of great features. There's a fantastic Bad Taste reunion. I love Bad Taste. Um, sadly, we, we skipped Meet the Feebles and there's also a great Brain Dead uh, piece. Michael J. Fox is our big interview this, this month. It's fantastic um, and there's loads of great stuff as well about the Hobbit the Battle of the Five Armies and the Lord of the Rings saga and it's just amazing and Peter Jackson answers questions from fellow filmmakers it's brilliant but if you don't like Peter Jackson if you don't like the Hobbit if you don't like Lord of the Rings don't worry you're not screwed there's tons of great stuff in there as well there's uh, wonderful set visits from Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella Testament of Youth uh, Thunderbirds which is Peter Jackson related uh, admittedly Uh, we also have a world exclusive interview with James Cameron we caught up with him and we asked him about his views on the future of technology and where he is with Avatars 2, 3 and 4 which are about to start filming and I quote what can we expect from Avatars 2, 3 and 4 he told me they're going to be bitching I said can you elaborate and he said you will shit yourself with your mouth wide open which I don't think I've ever that, done that doesn't sound like good that that isn't what I want from a film from a really. cinema experience yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know put that on your poster and it I does say. seem a little too close to the plot of the human centipede for absolute comfort oh. I'm just saying oh. I'm just saying Oh my god, I hope Avatar 2 is the Navi centipede. I hope it's just <laughs> Quaritch coming back and just stitching Navi people yeah. together. The Leonopteryx on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. 
I see you and I, I feel you and I smell you as well. Um, Tim Burton talks about his new film, Big Eyes, which is also fantastic. We've got uh, this month's pint of milk is Jimmy Nesbitt. It's very, very funny. We've got Rupert Wyatt talking about The Gambler, the new Mark Wahlberg film. Uh, we've got tons of other great stuff in there, including all the new movie news and reviews and you could possibly want to eat uh it's great and just three pounds 99 and if you get the ipad edition as well there there are wonderful videos in there including videos featuring featuring peter jackson and uh andy circus where we went to his, his imaginarium rupert white could do blade runner 2 that's not a bad call actually oh and andy circus also talks we, about age we... of ultron and other imaginarium projects it's it's it, there's a lot in there actually it's very meaty. it is it's a cracking cracking issue Crackalackin'. Crackalackin'. Uh, let's crackalack on now with uh, our second guest. Uh, Hugh Bonneville has, over the last few years, moved almost imperceptibly from excellent but jobbing character actor to the man we'd want to see become king when David Cameron steps down. Um, uh, what? I think your constitutional law maybe needs a wee bit of work. I don't, I don't, I don't okay. agree. I don't agree. I don't, I don't agree. His performances as Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey and Ian Fletcher in 2020 and W1A have been excellent. And this week he pops up on the big screen as Mr. Brown, the head of the family, to find themselves dealing with a talking brown bear in Paul King's Paddington. Lord Hugh, for it must surely be so, came in last week to talk to myself and Phil. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Paddington, Hugh Bonifil. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Good afternoon. It's lovely to be here. It is a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Phil and I both love the film uh, unreservedly. It's And uh, you've just been told, just seconds before this interview started, that Michael Bond well, has he's seen a, the film. Yeah, he's, he, uh, he had a, a screening of the film for himself this morning, so we're all... You know, with bated breath, waiting for the smoke to appear from the Vatican, and uh, <laughs> and uh, the word on the street is that he was thrilled with it. So that's, I, you know, what higher praise the the creator of Paddington Bear, aged eighty eight, loved the movie. Amazing. <laughs> I like to think he lives in a treehouse. Oh well, yes, mate, yes, in, in the jungle, <laughs> or Berkshire or somewhere. <laughs> Darkest Berkshire. Uh, did he visit the set? Have you he did. Yes, he came out uh, early on, uh, and his wife gave us some marmalade, which was very appropriate, of course. And then he had a a cameo in the movie uh, it's one of my favourite little moments if you, if you don't know Michael Bond or don't know the books or anything it's fine but if you do it's a lovely touch that Michael Bond is a a, a customer in a cafe and raises a glass of wine to his creation as he oh, drives past that's who I oh, we're so yeah um, <laughs> yeah, yeah okay interesting very interesting indeed um, and, and how are you bearing up at the moment because you're at the centre of a BBFC storm because <gasps> of your scene in which you uh, you wear a dress and flirt outrageously with Simon Farnaby. Well, yes, I know. I mean, uh, I feel very lucky that Simon Farnaby should find me remotely attractive. <laughs> I would hasten to add, for those who have not yet seen the film, that uh, it is when I'm dressed as a rather gargantuan cleaning lady. Um, Can I just say that you look very fetching in Angora? <laughs> you and Johnny Depp could get together and do an Angora <laughs> movie. I know. Well, this is one of the reasons. Uh, in fact, I, hot off the press, um, what were referred to as sexual references have been downgraded to... <laughs> innuendo uh, it's like going from code red to code amber so we can stand down on the uh, tension front on that score but uh, no there are other things like there are you know mild alarm or my you know whatever it is mild threat um, yes which and and you know some muttered bad language apparently mm. um but uh we you know we join the we join the ranks of films like toy story and elf so i'm very happy that we've got a pg 
It's it's not too bad. I mean, when you look at uh, films that the BBFC have given the U certificate to over the years, Star Wars, in which uh, someone has their arm cut off in the first 15 minutes, in which an entire planet is blown up in about an hour in, <laughs> that's a U. Is it really? Toy gosh. Story 3, in which the uh, the toys are lowered slowly into a furnace and uh, almost inevitable doom, one of the most unbelievable, oh, incredible <laughs> really just that. impinges on your psyche. Yeah. That's a U. Paddington. Well, pa- yes, well, ba- Paddington, there's also, you know, some dangerous behaviour, like kids, don't for heaven's sake use your umbrella and dog lead as a means of parasailing. Um, it's, and, you know, don't hide in fridges and things like that, which, which I think, no, I mean, on a quite serious yeah. point, I wonder if that had been in a fully animated version, if that had been in a Toy Story type yes. uh, environment, whether that would have not constituted such a, you know, a cautionary moment. But mm. I fully respect that they need to give guidelines and, uh, you know, we're just delighted that it's not, uh, not, not an 18. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. <laughs> Is there an 18 rated cut? The Paul King shoot? The Paul King, well, you, you know, put it this way, the cleaning lady f- uh, sequence went on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. I was going to say, when you were a young, aspiring actor at the National Youth Theatre, you must have dreamt of the day when another character tried to shout it after you Stop that sexy lady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that day has arrived, has dawned. I know, who'd have thought it? Yeah, especially <laughs> Simon Farnaby, as I say, who is, uh, I mean, doing doing that sequence with him, it did take quite a, you know, quite a lot of acting skills to keep a straight face because he's very, very, very funny. Um, I think one of the things that Chris and I both really loved about this film is that it combines the Paddington-ness of the thing with Paul King's imagination it in the intricacy of the film and mm. I, I was lucky enough to come on set where you were recreating uh, Windsor Gardens mm. in Primrose Hill and uh, I know that you, you had the foot of the stairs and it was a foot at the foot of the stairs. That's my favourite gag. It took me, I was staring at it on the set because uh, at the bottom of the staircase there was just a big sort of marble looking foot and it took me a couple of uh, staring at it. What's it there for? Is it not? It's not in the scene. And then, of course, you know, I realised it's the foot of the stairs, which is just a lovely little <laughs> silly gag. <laughs> and you also had your was it your special pen, your character, Mr. Uh, Brown's yes, special Mr. pen, and then yes. spare reserve special pen. Yes, Mr. Did- Mr. Brown is rather sort of. Uh, uh, overcautious and overprotective and all overorganized. Some would say OCD about life. And uh, yes, so his stationery drawer has sort of dymo labels of where everything sits, including the special pen and the spare and the spare special pen. But he also has a, a, a secret rock rocker sort of biker <laughs> past. Do you have any of that in your, in your uh, I, in the I, Well, locker? I'm, I'm pretty rubbish at riding a bike, put it that way, and I've certainly <laughs> never had a sort of dodgy. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we uh, we've used that reference from. Um, uh, oh, what's that famous biker movie? From Easy the, Rider. Easy, the Easy Rider. Harvey Is it Harvey Keitel? No, not Harvey Keitel. Um, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper's yeah. Easy Rider moustache. So we use that as a reference. I've never quite gone down that route, um, but I did. I did wear dungarees in my time. I'd like you to know that in my in you know my teens when I was really hip and happening. Um, <laughs> but Mr. So Mr. Brown did have his wild side. But then when when parenthood came knocking, he turned into Mr. Beige, and uh, felt that the need to you know protect his family at all costs. It feels like a film that was incredibly fun to shoot. It was a lot of fun. I think Paul King may disagree because he he's the poor fellow who had to who spent nearly five years on it now. Yeah, uh, David Heyman even longer. Um, and technically, as you can imagine, it was a nightmare for, for all departments to you know try and get through, try and achieve the day's shoot. But it was a lot of fun. The, the most fun, as always, in in any sort of venture of this kind, uh, be it on stage or on film, was the rehearsal process because that's where you can really uh, muck about with the ideas. And Paul is such a you know wonderfully collaborative spirit. He, he'd written he and Hamish, you know, with Hamish McCall had written uh, Hamish had written the early drafts, and Paul had taken it on. And uh, 
But in rehearsal, we, we played around with the script. Paul said, you know, this isn't right. I want to get the relationship between Mr. and Mrs. Brown more subtle, more fun, more, you know, whatever. Mm. And so we had a lot of laughs improvising and you know, working out our own backstories and all that sort of stuff that actors like waffling on about um, <laughs> that nobody else ever actually gets to see. So at least we know what we're doing, even if no one else does. Um, so, uh, yeah, some of the... I mean, there's, a you know, I think a rather charming argument scene in the kitchen when... Uh, when uh, Mr. Brown has to do his turning away face and, uh, and, his, and counting to ten and breathing, yeah, but clearly he's, he's putting his hand in the air. All the hands gone up. Um, so there's a, you, you sense that this is a couple that do adore each other, but they're not quite on the same page. At the, at the, certainly at the start of the film, and, and the presence of Paddington, of course, allows that mm. uh, family to, to bond even better towards the end. How, how deep is the backstory for Mr. Brown? How deep did you go? Any dark. We even well, we past? even we even discussed uh, Sally and I even discussed camping trips we'd been on in our in, in our in our courtship <laughs> and. Uh, and I can't remember. I think we decided that her her parents were market gardeners, and uh, and that she'd been a wild spirit who was allowed to roam the, you know. And my father, I, I think, was a stockbroker who I only saw once a week. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> something makes, like that. It makes sense. As fun as the film must have been to shoot, at the same time, Paddington is not there. Hmm. Did uh, did that present a problem in terms of uh, eye lines and things like that, and interacting <clears throat> with something that isn't there? Well, I could I could uh, go down the stock response, which is that um, you know Paddington, since he's had all this success with his books, he's now so starry he refused to come out of his trailer, <laughs> and uh, you know the rider in his contract to do with marmalade was just horrendous, um, and so therefore we did have to use stand-ins from time to time. Mm-hmm. He'd normally emerge from his trailer at five to seven and just enough time for a close-up. Um, so we did. We had Lauren, who's <laughs> the same height as him, who would walk through the shots with us, um, giving us visual reference, wearing the, the red hat, uh-huh. sometimes looking a bit too much like she was from Don't Look Now. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> um, uh, except the duffel coat was a different colour. So we had, sometimes we had a stick with a bit of sticky tape on it at the correct height for his eyes, uh, or we'd have nothing at all. But it, strangely, it did, we did actually, f- it was very vivid. The bear was very real to us because we had... Um, uh, Javier uh, Marsan, who is a fantastic physical comedian. In the film, he plays the um, uh, the palace guard with the bear skin. Does he? Oh, um, yeah, but okay. he actually created a, a lot of the bear's antics. So, for instance, in the in there's a tea room sequence when he and I, Paddington and I, are stuck at Paddington Station waiting for the family to come and join me again, and uh, we sort of have a sort of slightly awkward conversation. Um, and but it was Javier who was giving me the visual references for that, and he invented what would happen, perhaps happen with a teapot and getting his foot stuck in the sugar bowl or whatever mm. it is and uh, playing with ketchup and um but he'd give us a hint of what might possibly then be worked on in the in the cgi equally we had gus brown who was doing a lot of the vocal references for us on set so all these factors as well as the little uh, the, the, the life-size bare head that was used for lighting references and for all the digital team to take their pictures and measurements of after each shot so paddington was sort of real but until i saw the movie and i'd seen it in various stages through the edit but it, but when I sat down and watched it, within a second, two seconds, I'd, I'd, I'd completely forgotten this bear didn't exist. <laughs> it was totally a real character, and with Ben's voice added to the mix, with this wonderful timbre he has of vulnerability and, and strange confidence and sort of perkiness, um, uh, I, I, I'm convinced I spent ten weeks with that bear, not with some stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do something on the podcast called the IMD bunker where we look at your the trivia that you kind of accrued in your career and um, um, many of it a little bit most of my career has been trivial i tell you <laughs> <laughs> well one of the facts here apart from the fact that you speak french not true is not true okay <laughs> you're occasionally mistaken for colin firth in my younger days when i had cheekbones yes when, just after uh, pride and prejudice came out um yeah, i was in oxford street and 
someone came up and said how much they loved my Mr. Darcy the night before. You know, so I've wept for <laughs> ten years ever since then. Well, on the way up here just now, you were mistaken for Benedict Cumberbatch. That so is hilarious. Vague. I mean, <laughs> but Colin Firth, of course, was originally the voice of Paddington. Yes. And I know that you actually worked with him, and he kind of before the the the, the change to Ben, mm. um, he did a lot of he kind of embodied the character mm. a lot. What did the change of, of that role and that voice part mean for you in, in, in the movie? Yeah, uh, well, actually, it it didn't technically affect anything because we'd already shot the film when the, that decision was, was reached. Mm. But what was interesting is that we'd, you know, we'd spent several days with Colin uh, uh, talking about the nature of the bear and, and, and you know, working with him a bit and... Uh, and putting you know the, the flavor of the character together, and so he was very much in our minds when we were working. Um, and then I think just one of these strange—I mean, everyone says that a film takes on a completely new shape in the edit anyway, and scenes you thought were essential, you realize are redundant, or vice versa. Um, and they came to the conclusion as as they worked on it, that as the bear grew, so Colin's voice went further and further away from the bear that was emerging. Mm. And Colin, I think, with typical grace and, and, and good nature said, agreed with Paul when they, I think they all sat down and discussed it and he said you know, this, you're right, this isn't, you know my voice doesn't quite fit this, this you know, the, the, the bear that I'm looking at um, and so we all see him as the godfather of Paddington, you know, that he, he sort of he sort of took it under his wing but now he's handed, it, handed the baton on to, to Ben and having heard and seen Ben now, I, I can't imagine anybody else that he is Paddington. Did you go for Bob Hoskins on this movie? Uh, you mean you mean getting cross-eyed and headaches and all the rest bit. of it? He went mad. He he, he yeah. saw the weasels from Roger Rabbit at home. He started hallucinating. Did you? Yeah. Uh, yes, I remember him talking about that. Bless him, God rest his soul. Mm. That uh, that Roger. I mean, Roger Rabbit, which was of course was groundbreaking in its day, um, with that mixture of animation and, and uh, live action, uh, and that thing of having to. That the hardest thing is is focusing on something in the middle distance, uh, you know, because your eye inevitably focuses on. What's uh, what's at the end of your view? Yeah. Um, so that was always quite interesting, having to put your fingers, uh, you know, two foot away, and take the finger away, and hope that your eyes are still focused there. <laughs> that did lead to a few headaches, but I didn't quite go as mad as thinking that, that Paddington was, you know, sitting, you know, coming coming in the in the lunch queue with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you were on the receiving end of Paddington's Christopher Walken moment, his his hard, oh, the hard stare, stare, the hard stare. <laughs> Well, I, th I think that was I think that was best employed by Paul King himself, who basically is Paddington, um, uh, when we were filming that little sequence. Because uh, of course I had no idea what was what it was going to end up like, and so I asked Paul to demonstrate, and he did a very good hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you are uh, not the first Downton Abbey alum to sit in that very chair. Oh. In fact, we've had the likes of Alan Leach and Dan Stevens on the podcast in the in the past. Oh, that that show, the success of that show has been phenomenal. It's been incredible watching people spin movie careers out of it. And your career was going very, very nicely before Downton Abbey, but do you think it's had a, a knock-on effect for you in, 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 in that way? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question. I mean, I've got no doubt that my my presence in Monuments Men, uh, George Clooney's film of last year, and, and Paddington uh, this year has absolutely nothing to do with my talent and all to do with my position in the marketplace. So... <laughs> um, Yes, it's been it's been an extraordinary thing for all of us, uh, and, and that you know Dan, uh, who, who who left uh, has who left the show, 
um, has had a terrific uh, variety of movies and projects uh, mm. on the go. Uh, Alan's just uh, appeared in The Imitation Game, which I haven't seen yet, dying to see that. Um, Michelle, too. Uh, everybody has had these extraordinary opportunities, both uh, on screen and on stage and off. And that have all come along because of a, a big country house near Newbury. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which you obviously could not have anticipated when you, you, you first took on the show. I mean, Absolutely, it's a worldwide yeah. phenomenon. It is. It? I had my first letter from China the other day saying, uh, "What a what a fascinating uh, analysis of Chinese social structure it was." Which first I thought of it, I didn't think, that was, <laughs> didn't think it was high on. Finally, TV. someone sees it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, it's played all around the world, and I haven't yet heard of it flopping in, in, in any particular country. So, uh, you know, I don't know quite what the what the elements are that have have, have made it strike this particular seam of gold. Um, but it's it's been it's it's, it's terrific that it has. Mm. You know, people like these characters. Has it exposed you a lot to the sort of inner workings of Hollywood? I mean, you mentioned the Monuments Man. I assume that was George Clooney's a huge fan of Downton Abbey, obviously. And no, I think he might be probably shown some tapes of it for when he was considering who to scrape off the bottom of the barrel and cast. <laughs> 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 um, so he went. He looked at Cumberbatch. He looked at Firth. <laughs> he went. No, we'll have him. Um, but no, uh, John John Goodman watches it uh, from that cast. I know, and and, and Matt Damon's wife. She uh, she was a big addict for it, and um, uh, it was it's quite weird when you're working with with. You know, on, on a set like that, at Monuments Men, and there was—I remember there's this enormous grip on part of the camera team. This huge guy uh, who sort of came lurching over to me one day, and I thought, "Oh God, what have I done? He's going to beat me up." And he literally sort of pinned me against the wall and said, "What were you shooting last week? I want to know. I've got to tell my wife. Uh, we, we watch it." And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> With a threat of violence. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you anything, <laughs> please. One very tangential kind of final question. Um, ben Whishaw obviously is Q in Bond. Mm. You yourself have pretty much owned the Bond universe as air warfare officer. Absolutely. <laughs> Tomorrow never dies. Oh, yeah. I was there. Chance that he might come back, or is he, is he actually dead? I think it's a matter of time. Only a matter of time that uh, air warfare officer. Let's give him a name because he didn't have one. <laughs> Brian Bloggins <laughs> emerges from uh, HMS whatever Bedford or something, and uh, is now a sort of a cat-stroking supercharged villain um, who is disappointed with the British Navy and has set up his own fleet of indestructible wow. ships. How about that? But let's say just that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Does this mean you can't come back into the Bond universe? Well, if they, Dan, if they ask I, I, you? I gather that Dan Craig was, was in it as a completely different character originally. So, you know, there's hope. You never know. Bingo. You never know. The name's Bloggins. <laughs> Brian Bloggins. <laughs> Licensed to do whatever it is I do. Fantastic. Yeah. Hugh Bonifield, it has been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you very much. I can't help noticing, Chris, that uh, that during that interview, at no point did you ask him about Da Vinci's Demons. It, where, did, it, it didn't come up. Whereupon he appears at the very beginning of the pilot episode, gets stark bollock naked, murdered, and then that's it. That's true. That was uh, pr- probably one of his greatest roles, yeah, I would say. I think say. so. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it didn't come up in the... In the in, you, the, in the course of yeah it's, it's it, strange as it may seem James it's very hard to work someone's penis into the course of a conversation <laughs> I've never found that to be true um, <laughs> uh, you're not a Downton fan are you Chris I've never seen a single episode oh that's a shocking one Mrs Patmore would beat the shit out of you <sighs> yeah I don't doubt I'm it I'm shocked um, I mean my close personal friend Joe J. Abrams is a, is a big Downton Abbey fan Clank. I hate you I think I hate you more than I'm fat, I'm fat. I, I, I do hold myself fully responsible because he tweeted a picture of him in the kitchen 
at Downton uh, with Mrs. Hughes, and I take full credit it's for that. It's time now for the reviews section of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I was about to tell you my story about being at a wedding at Downton Abbey. Right, now, Helen, High Clear Castle. High Clear Castle. Right, tell, yeah. us, tell us your Downton story. That was it. That was it. Yeah, pretty much. Mrs. Patmore wasn't there. No, nobody. No. But it was really nice. Wow, you just dropped an entire building. Yeah, time for reviews now. We've had the wonderful Hugh Bonifil in, and now let's talk about the wonderful Paddington. Uh, Phil, I, I, I wrote the review of this, so I'm not going to bang on about it too much. Phil, okay, you can bang on about it. Well, the movie starts with a creature emerging from the smoking ruins of a Latin American forest, whereupon he lands in a major metropolis and causes total havoc. It's basically Predator 2. <laughs> I can't think of a greater endorsement than this movie. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's basically Predator 2. <laughs> it's not Predator 2 at all. It's not. But look, I mean, oh, there's been so much in the in the sort of public conversation about this film. Creepy Paddington and, you know, it's Michael Bond's beloved. He's been through different PG, incarnations yeah. of PG. There's a lot of stuff that, that I'm sure our listeners know all too well. So we'll skip all of that and just say that this is a really surprisingly marvellous film. I don't mm. think any of us expected it to come out as well. Mm. And we should give credit to, I think, a lot of people, really. But Rosie Allison and David Heyman, the producers, did a great job in picking Paul King, I think, because they saw something in his unique sensibility that really made this film work. It's got his own, if you like The Mighty Boosh and you liked... um, Bunny and the Bull. Exactly, Bunny and the Bull. You'll see those touches. It hasn't sacrificed any of his comic sensibility, which makes it very, very funny. Um, But also, it's it's a lovely family film. And The Bear itself, with Ben Whishaw... You know, that was the other the other sort of side story. Colin Firth leaving Ben Whishaw seems such a great pick. You yeah. know, in retrospect, is he really captures the bear and his you know his small you know small stature but huge kind of warmth and presence. Um, it's a very funny film. It's a lovely film about London. Everything's a little heightened. It's got a bit of a Christmas vibe. It's not a Christmas film specifically, so mm. you could probably watch it in the summer. And it's one of the films along with probably. Grand Budapest Hotel, maybe Whiplash, one or two others that I really want to go and see again in the cinema as soon as possible. And we've given it five stars, and I really can't think of anything anything more glowing to say I, about it. I, I, I spoke to Paul King about this film when it was announced, which was, what, two and a half years ago on the phone, and it just seemed, you know, a long way off and a long, like, how is this going to be good? It's going to be another, you know, Yogi Bear or potentially. Um, and it's so not. It's a really high-calibre movie on every level. I, I, I love that this film is brilliant and I am, as you say, I'm quite baffled by it because I, I assumed that a Paddington movie would be, as you say, a bit Yogi Bear, a bit disappointing and I'm, I'm just kind of thrilled to be proved wrong. Fair assumption because I, you yeah. think, you know, we've come through things like Polar Express and, mm. and you know, the eyes, you know, the dead eyes and, and how do you capture a CG creature and make it so real and warm but in frame store obviously phenomenal at that and they've done a great job yeah um but also i think we should give lots of credit to the human parts components because yeah. hugh bonneville and sally hawkins really yeah. made this film is it is it difficult is it emotional when danny glover kills him at the end <laughs> a little bit yeah of course because Fair enough. You know, he's travelled a long way through space. I did write the five-star review, which is a gushing tribute to the film. However, it does contain the F-word, my review, not the film. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be more than a PG. Uh, so do watch out for that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I just absolutely... It's so wonderful in this day and age when people are so jaded and film critics can be so jaded um, to go into a film and have it surprise you. And then I watched it again with an audience who were filled with uh, little kids this time and they were just loving it eating it up uh, all the right places you know they, they were laughing they were crying this is a surprisingly emotional film it's really really funny it's 
just loaded with wonderful little visual touches. Mm. The story about a young bear that comes to London to try and find a home and uh, he, mm. he moves into this family. Uh, that's that's dealt with really, really well. There's a great caper style uh story to it as well. Nicole Kidman's excellent as a villainess. Performances are, are very, very good all around. But for me, this is a sort of film that you just unexpectedly, like the bear itself, fall in love with. And I can absolutely see this being, you, you said it's not a Christmas movie. For me, it is. It's absolutely imbued with the mm. spirit of Christmas. And I can see myself and families watching this as a Christmas movie staple for years to come. For me, it's a Pixar level movie. It's an instant kids movie classic. Uh, and I, I think it's one of the films of the year, I'll be honest with you. It's it's really adorable and warm. I'm not sure I'm quite as nailed on five stars as the rest of you, but I'm still very, very positive on it. Um, and I think it's got a great message as well, like on a more kind of macro level um, about, you know, welcoming Im- immigrants and that kind of thing, which is obviously a very, very, very controversial topic at the moment. Uh, you know, the papers and certain political parties are trying to make a big deal of it. But it's actually a sort of a, there's a plea for compassion and tolerance and understanding of each other here, which I think is really, really lovely. Um and beautifully played. I also really want their house, like really, really badly want their house. Their house is amazing. Um, just the design of it is absolutely gorgeous and immediately puts this in sort of warm and friendly territory. I've been to their house oh. and I've seen your payslip. Yeah, I know. They, the two I haven't seen your payslip. The, the I've never seen your payslip. That yeah. would be a terrible thing to do. Of course I haven't. But I'm assuming that. What a Amy. dreadful intrusion. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been through your stuff. That sounds a bit wrong, doesn't it? Um, I take yes. your point. However, I'm pretty sure I can't afford it. No, but still, it's, it's just such everything. A good house. It's a beautiful place. It's a, it was shot in Primrose Hill in uh, in sort of central North London. Um, right, and it's yeah, it's a beautiful sort of candy box thing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing film. It'll, it'll warm your heart. Uh, five stars for Paddington, uh, and believe me, we're as surprised about that as you are. Uh, next up, Horrible Bosses Two. Mm. Hell's Bells. Right, yes. I was going to say, as someone who's experienced a horrible boss in her time. Yes, you know. Um, he's right here. Uh, yeah, so this is the uh, the sequel, obviously, to Horrible Bosses. This time, the threesome are trying to launch their own product called a Shower Buddy, which seems like a terrible idea. But anyway, they're trying to launch this product. Um, and they go, uh, they, they, they manage to get it set up with the help of... Uh, Christoph Waltz's uh, businessman and his son, um, Chris Pine. Um, and he basically promises to buy a certain amount of their product and, you know, help them get the loan to get started. But he has a plan to essentially ruin them and then take the, the product at a, a fraction of its worth. So they are basically stuffed. Um, and therefore, they conceive another ill advised <laughs> scheme, uh, this time to kidnap. Uh, Chris Pine and hold him to ransom um, in order to persuade his uh, his dad to hand over the money. Now, frankly, their scheme does not go to plan, uh, but they still find themselves holding Chris Pine to ransom for various reasons <laughs> and uh, and have to try and find a way to, to get through this. The the surviving horrible bosses of last time, uh, played by Jennifer Aniston and Kevin Spacey, both crop up here, essentially just doing it bigger and badder than before. But really, it's a, it's a story about the, the threesome. I mean, there are a lot of funny moments in this. Um, I, I think Chris Pine is particularly good at being obnoxious. Mm. Um, some of the bits of, of sort of improvisation between the three main guys really really work and are very very funny it's the kind of film that I've seen once and I laughed at occasionally Mm. and I don't think I'll ever watch again (laughs) like even if it was on TV I'd probably not 
you know, like I'm I'm the kind of person if I see Sister Act on TV, I'll probably yeah. watch it again. I think it's some kind of disease. I can't turn away from Sister Act and the likes of that. But this one, I kind of feel like, all right, well, I've seen that, so mm. yeah. so you know, it's it's fine. Um, there's some really charming moments, uh, but it's not exactly going to stick in your brain. I think. I think you'll have to start watching it again though when the horrible boss's cinematic universe starts expanding, <laughs> and then we get the motherfucker Jones prequel, and we get the uh, the Julia spinoff, and all, that's true, and all sorts of stuff. And then you have to go, wait, which order do I watch them in? Do I watch them chronologically, or do they remain? Order of um, release, Chris. Order, order of release. release, always order of release. I kind of like this film. Um, it's it, it feels like a bit of a guilty pleasure comedy wise uh, for me. Uh, one of the, one of the things about this movie is that it has ramped up the stupidity. Yeah. of Charlie Day and Jason Sudeikis' characters who are now just borderline brain dead and uh, it's effectively and Jason Bateman is completely the straight man to them he's he's stupid as well but but, but much smarter, than, so. much smarter yeah. than them and frankly I could watch Jason Bateman do exasperated reactions to their stupidity <laughs> all day long I honestly would never tire of it um, so those moments when the three of them are together feel really really nice it felt to me at times like a better Dumb and Dumber sequel than the Dumb and Dumber sequel which is not to denigrate the Dumb and Dumber sequel which we'll talk about in a few weeks time but it's a it's a better more coherent movie with I'd imagine better jokes given that Sharon is some of the same writers that's kind of interesting uh, for me where the movie falls down is where it gets bogged down in the plot and also where it gets down it bogged down that sort of sequelitis of bringing back characters that were in the first movie uh, yeah. you know you, you'd think if this is the sort of movie that if it could find a way to bring back Colin Farrell, it would bring back Colin Farrell. Yeah, would, uh, yeah. You know, the extended uh, Motherfucker Jones sequences don't really work as well as they did in the first movie for me. But uh, it made me laugh a lot consistently, despite myself, because it's fairly non-PC, this, this film. But uh, yeah, th- three stars. Three stars. Three stars. Awesome. Recommendation. Uh, Harper Bosses too uh, and a film also very worthy of your attention this week it's a very very low budget British movie Kajaki The True Story which is the latest movie from producer Gareth Ullman who bagged an Oscar a couple of years ago with The King's Speech and has weirdly gone in this interesting direction hasn't he Phil he hasn't gone after the massive big lavish big budget Oscar chasers he's has he? no he hasn't well Kajaki is the name of the place in Afghanistan where a, a squad of British paras um, were stationed and in 2006 this group of men wandered inadvertently into an old, basically a dried riverbed that had become a dumping ground for old Soviet war-era mines, anti-personnel mines, with obvious consequences and bloody consequences. And this film depicts that in a very unsparing way. It's quite a brutal watch in a lot of ways because what it does well that a lot of similar and more more uh, lushly budgeted films don't do is it establishes the characters and makes you care about them and it shows you how these men you know ordinary ordinary soldiers but heroic in their in their deeds um kind of went about getting through this situation um it's incredibly tense Mm. and you come out feeling a bit wrung out like a face cloth uh, in a good way um i thought this was a really good film and one that i think is worthy of of a look Uh, genuinely solid British war film four stars worth of quality um, there's a moment early on when you know before you know what's coming I mean there's no surprise about what happens in this film because it's all over the marketing and the trailer and stuff but before they step on the first mine when I thought I basically you could hear a pin drop in the room you could hear your heart beating because you know what's coming um, mm. as a tense, a tense a bit of cinema as I've seen for a long time um, who's, who's and I've seen again? Horrible Bosses too <laughs> have you seen Horrible Bosses too? Um, I haven't seen Horrible Bosses too. So you're a liar sure as well as a... I'm a liar as well as a cat. And someone that goes through other people's pay slips. <laughs> my, my litany, my crime, my rap sheet is growing. 
directed by Paul Cattis. Okay. It's his first feature film. He's made some shorts, um, and he does a great job. It's very, it's it's actually got a, a really fantastic uh, action sequence as well before any of the the, the main meet of the film takes place um, when they spot a Taliban position and they call it an airstrike overnight and they light the sky up with these dropping mortar shell lots of good stuff in it uh, very very tense and, and well worth a look that's fantastic I'm definitely going to check it out I have not seen it but four stars for Kajaki the true story so do go and check it out also out this week is a cracking documentary about Muhammad Ali yes another one but this is really good it's I Am Ali which actually goes through personal tapes personal conversations that he had with his um uh, his nearest and dearest, his, his his friends and family that were recorded around about the 1960s and 1970s, and gives you a nice personal insight to uh, to the legend as well. And uh, we gave that four stars. There's also um, a re-release this week of 2001: A Space Odyssey, the film that may not be Interstellar's dad, but is certainly its rich uncle who drops by every now and again to give it a patronising clip around the year. And we gave that uh, two stars, five stars for 2001: A Space Odyssey. If you haven't seen it on the big screen, go and see it this weekend. And that's it for the Empire Podcast. Uh, Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Jude Law here to talk about his new thriller, Black Sea, in which he's faced with a sub-dilemma. I'm faced with a sub-dilemma every day. Do I get meatball marinara or tuna on Italian? It's it's a really tough one for me. Carrie Elwes will also be dropping by. Yeah, no, that was really bad. Uh, Carrie Elwes will be dropping by to talk about his new book, As You Wish, about the making of The Princess Bride. And you weren't even there for it. No, I'm so, so upset. Uh, he was very dashing and charming and handsome. Of course he was. Until that fateful day, it is farewell from Helen. Tiddly. Farewell from Phil. Goodbye. Farewell from James. I'll be back. And it's farewell from me. I'm off to infiltrate a film set and deep throat everyone I can find. See you next week. 